In the event that Brian Reynolds isn't here in 2023, and that event certainly looks likely, who would replace him? Yeah, I know. What suspense, huh? Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or hockey, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins that I hope you'll check out. The answer, of course, is nobody. But that sure makes a short episode, you know? Like, thanks for listening, everybody. Go to North Shore Tavern and... Yeah, we'll see you Monday, except that there's got to be some kind of solution for this. And I'm not sold on the idea that if and when you trade Reynolds, you have to get an outfielder back. Because to me, when you trade Reynolds after a trade request and at this stage of his career, he's 27 years old. And at this stage of where your team needs to be, meaning you can't just act like it's two years ago and ship him out for a bunch of 17-year-olds. To me, what you have to pursue here is pitching, pitching, and more pitching, because it's the most challenging commodity to acquire for any team in any setting, but especially for the Pirates. Because if you're looking for veteran pitchers, yeah, you're seeing that it costs two or three million just to get an average middle bullpen guy, which isn't, of course, to suggest they don't have it. It's to suggest that they won't spend it. So there's no point really discussing it. Jose Quintana just signed for two years and 26 million. The Mets, I, you know, just, everybody knew this was what Jose was going to cost. And that's a figure the Pirates could have paid, but didn't. But didn't. So let's not pretend the pitching is going to come from anywhere else. And by the way, let's not pretend that the Pirates have enough pitching as it is. Some of it's interesting for sure. And you could probably get by in 2023 with just one solid veteran. But if they're not going after Quintana, who actively wanted to come back, then they're not going to be serious about that either. So you would use the Reynolds trade to address this. Which would, in turn, of course, leave you without an outfielder. Getting more specific, it would leave you without a center fielder. So if we start the slate completely clean here, what we're left with in terms of an outfield outlook without Reynolds is Jihuan Bay in center, and I'm really jumping the gun with him. I mean, we've seen him for a month and change in the majors. That's it. It looked promising. Certainly his production in AAA was more than promising. And you would think that with a player uh, coming into a season, his first full season, where there's no shift and he's more of a contact and speed guy, he'll benefit more than most. But I'm not here to anoint him. I'm just looking at what's there. You have Jack Sawinski, who, in my opinion, needs to play every day in 2023, uh, almost unconditionally, because you have to find out what you have. You have to find out where the 19 home runs came from, if he can get his overall production higher, or if he's just going to be an all-or-nothing hitter. You have to find out. So I've now got two, uh, (laughs) and I'm looking for more. 
This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern. That's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. There are, of course, other outfielders, including on the 40-man roster. Tucapita Marcano is there. Kanan Smith-Najigba, who got hurt almost right away after being promoted and having earned that promotion. Tremendous athlete from a tremendous athletic family. Somebody definitely worth looking at. Travis Swaggerty was a first-round pick. I don't know why he's still on the 40 since management didn't even see fit to bring him up late last season when they could have done pretty much anything easily to get him up here and didn't. And then from there, you start looking at guys that can go infield, outfield, back and forth, Diego Castillo and that type of player. That's it, kids. That's it. That's your outfield, unless, unless you were to try something different, and it wouldn't have to be immediate, there'd be no pressure, but if you think about some of the players that you have, some of the more gifted hitters that you have, emphasizing hitting here, even if they're younger and even if they've been labeled as this or that up and along the way, pretty much anybody who plays any position on the diamond, can play the outfield. So I don't think it can be ruled out that an Andy Rodriguez, a Henry Davis, even O'Neill Cruz could move to the outfield. Again, not right away, not in 2023. There's no need for it. But you do have other options. If, for example, just to spotlight Davis in this context, you want to make maximum use of his abilities overall. You'd obviously want him hitting as often as possible. You'd want to take advantage of an 80-grade arm that he'd be using behind the plate or that he could use in the outfield to greater and more frequent effect. Now, I'm not ready to throw Henry out from behind the plate, but I'm not at all crazy about having your top two prospects, meaning uh, Andy and Henry, both being catchers. That strikes me as really weird and to an extent counterproductive, although there is a DH now that either of them could utilize. But the answers aren't here. And to repeat, ideally, the answers for another outfielder won't come from the outside because you would use Reynolds to get pitching. Wow, this is, I, I can't overstate the extreme to which this is a dagger to whatever it is that these guys might or might not have hoped to achieve in 2023 and beyond. When we come back, J1Q. Comes from 
Brian out in Columbus, Ohio. Brian says, hey, DK, I get that the Pirates are behind the eight ball when it comes to being in the only non-salary capped sport in North America. And because of this, they'll never be able to spend like the Yankees, Dodgers, Phillies, and Mets. They can't and probably shouldn't spend $250 million or $350 million on any one player. But I need only to look across the Central Division at the Cardinals to get seriously dismayed. St. Louis is only slightly bigger in terms of media market. One list I saw had Pittsburgh at 26, St. Louis at 23. But I look at the Cardinals roster and I see Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and now Wilson Contreras. These are elite players, gold gloves, silver sluggers, MVPs, and none of them are arbitration eligible. They've all received fair compensation on second and third contracts from the Cards. I get the woe is me that the Pirates cry for being in a much harder financial situation than, say, the Dodgers, but what exactly makes the Cardinals able to pay for these players? As the Pirates insist that they can't. I hope your answer goes beyond Bob Nutting, but maybe it's just as simple as that. It's not as simple as that, Ryan. Very few things are, especially with something that's this big and this layered. But if I were attempt to simplify it, I would say this. The Pirates have two significant problems at the very top. One is that Nutting is inherently cheap. The other is that there's a lack of competitive drive. And that begins with nutting, but it extends into the hires that he makes. You're going to have to take my word for this. I have seen a pattern of hiring from Bob in all different types of positions where whoever he brings in is more vanilla than whoever they're replacing. When I say vanilla, I'm talking about just bland and flavorless and blah, you know, no personality, no fire. And this goes across the board. I'm not even talking about baseball ops here. It's just across the board. The Pirates don't reflect Pittsburgh. I've said this in the past and I've gotten a lot of eye rolls from people. What is he talking about? What's that even mean? What a nebulous thing to say. But it's true. They don't reflect the Pittsburgh spirit, the Pittsburgh fight to it. There are exceptions. The most towering exception, and unfortunately, it's way, way, way above the rest, was when Clint Hurdle was hired. How exactly they managed to talk Clint into coming here, I'm still not sure. But they did, and Clint came in with a strong enough will to stand at that press conference at PNC Park in front of us and say, they didn't interview me as much as I interviewed them. Do you remember that? Have you ever heard someone say something like that at an introductory press conference upon getting the job? And these guys are in the room with him, standing off to his right? That's who Clint was. And Clint comes in and says it's time to rebond a city with a baseball team. And everyone just follows Clint's lead. Clint knew what he was up against. He knew before he started. He knew once he got going. He even knew during the playoff years. 
he had to do a lot of that fighting, he and his veteran players, to make sure that they got who slash what they needed to get to 98 wins and to have that very realistic chance to win a World Series in 2015. But ever since then, everything just got more and more and more vanilla. That's who he hires. We all probably kind of tend to do that whenever we're hiring. I have to hire for DK Pittsburgh Sports. And to an extent, even though I tell myself not to do this, you go into the process thinking, you know, I'd like to get somebody who's just like me. Even if that's not a right fit for the role, you want to get somebody who has some of the personality traits that you value. And in Bob's case, he's a guy who's quiet and loyal and doesn't like to rock the boat. And that's that's who he's hired. Everyone talks about the, the money and the cheapness, and it's fair and accurate. But this doesn't get discussed at all, and it's a really big deal. It's the kind of thing that can make a general manager watch their starting catcher go down for the year in May and never replace that individual. I can't get over that one. Even if I'm the only one in town who ever talks about it, I can't get over Roberto Perez never having been replaced last year. Never seen anything like it in my career as a reporter. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one Monday. 